Okay, let's turn to the Word of God this morning. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians again, chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is part four. And if you've missed the other parts, you can watch them or listen online. And it's not going to really hinder where we are this morning, for we're going to look at an entirely different part of the gifts of the Spirit, the Pentecostal flame and the gifts of the Spirit. And what we notice here is we're also going to look at this morning is going to be one of them. There may be other mornings when we uh, put a few of them together for time's sake, but this is quite, you might say, well, this isn't one of the most important, but really it is. It's called the Word of Wisdom. And it really is one of the most important. And gifts of tongues isn't the most important. But the Word of Wisdom is very, very important for the Christian. We're going to look at wisdom, different types of wisdom this morning. And hopefully we'll be a little more enlightened in the things of God when we leave. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12. And if you just, uh, for time's sake, let your eye run down, <clears throat> excuse me, to verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are di differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Notice the Spirit manifests through the church. Do you catch that? Because if there's no manifestation of the Spirit, then we must ask, where is He? <laughs> what is happening? The manifestation works through human people. It, the, the Spirit works. We're going to look at this because there's something in here I'm going to show you to do with the word of wisdom that's very important. Verse 8, for the one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. There's the first one. There are nine gifts mentioned here. And the word of wisdom is the first this morning. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. So whenever we are looking at this, the word of wisdom, you might say, what is this gift? It's simply like this. It is a communication of wise counsel given at, at a given moment imparted under the anointing and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say it again. The word of wisdom, what is it? It is the communication of wise counsel at a given moment imparted under the anointing and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, you might say, well, sure, there are people who are unsaved who are wise in this life, and that's true, who have more wisdom than others, and that's true. But we're going to look at that, that that wisdom is not of God. It's not really necessarily God-led or breathed. So what it is, is it's the inspiration of the Spirit. What it is not, it is not a person reaching a state of infallibility in decision-making. That's what it is not. A word of wisdom is not for you to say, I am infallible in every decision I make. Because God gives the word of wisdom, then that moment is infallible. Not the rest of you. Not all the rest of you. So if you'll turn, let's look, first of all, if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Again, we have been doing this as a Bible study rather than a preach. It's more of a teach. And we're doing it on purpose like that these last Sunday mornings because I want you to understand when 
we have the gifts and the moving of the Spirit in the church for people to understand these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, please. Paul says, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Note that there's man's wisdom. Paul said it's not man's wisdom. Now listen, this is a man who sat under Gamaliel. This is a man who was a Pharisee. This is a man who sat in one of the highest Jewish schools of learning. This is a man who done the Lord's work as he thought before coming to know Christ. This is a man who was full of all sorts of learning, yet now he says, that which I came with, that is the preaching of Christ, the teaching of Christ, and the words and the gifts that he came with were not of man's wisdom. Man cannot teach you. It's like you could talk to someone and witness to them about the Lord Jesus. You could feel like shaking them. You know where you get people and they're just staring at you and you feel like, wake up, wake up. Christ died for you and it's like blank. Because God is not working in them. You see, it takes a sovereign move of God to awaken a man and a woman. It takes a sovereign move of the Holy Ghost to move a man and woman, to stir them, to awaken them from their slumber, their sleep, and their death, to be able to understand anything to do with Christ. So here we see man's wisdom, and Paul says, what I came with is not man's wisdom. Let's read on. He says, But in demonstration of the Spirit and power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Do you notice that? Paul says your wisdom should not stand in anything to do with men, but the power of God. What God gives you, he says, that is not of men. So he's making a difference here. And then whenever we look again, at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll just have you flicking back and forward again here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Notice this. So what was man's wisdom? <clears throat> verse 2. Sorry, verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience that the simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom. There's fleshly wisdom now. Man's wisdom, fleshly wisdom. He says, ours isn't fleshly wisdom. You see, fleshly wisdom can drive you to do something that's not of God. Fleshly wisdom can lead you to go somewhere where God has never placed you. Fleshly wisdom can lead you into the deepest, darkest sin. Fleshly wisdom can tell you it doesn't hurt once. Ask the alcoholic who says, I only set out to take one drink. Ask the drug addict who says, I only set out to try it once. They never ever set out for it, but their fleshly wisdom says, try it once, do it once. Their, their man's wisdom says, I can handle this, I can do this. Notice what Paul says here. Let your eye run down. Again to verse 12. Not with fleshly wisdom, notice, but by the grace of God. We have had our conversation in the Word, or our lifestyle, in other words. 
and more abundantly to you. Paul says, the lifestyle I live now, I'm living by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians 2 and 20. And he's saying the, the things I've come with are not fleshly. They're not man's wisdom. They're from God. So there's a wisdom from God that we need as the church, the body of Christ. To minister to one another, to minister to others outside, to minister to the lost, to the hurt, the dying, to the sick. We need to know God's mind at that particular moment for that circumstance to speak into them. To speak into their situation. And I'll tell you what that does. That makes them open their eyes to say, hold on, how did you know this about me? What gives you the, the wisdom that only none others can give me here? What makes you know me? And it's not that we know anything when we operate in the word of wisdom, but rather it's the Spirit working through us to give the word of wisdom. Turn with me then to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And just let your eye run down. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's write on down to verse 19. Paul says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. So here is man's wisdom, fleshly wisdom, now worldly wisdom. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. You ever get somewhere where you're standing with someone and they think what you, what you believe of the saving power of Christ, of the power of the blood of the Lamb, of all the things to do with the gospel of grace, and everything to do with the Spirit, and they look at you as if you're not right in the head. They look at you as if you're absolutely mad. You're nuts. You're bonkers. And man's wisdom says, this is just, see, they can't grasp hold of it. So then we have to ask ourselves, what is the wisdom that you have? Think about this believer. Those who know the Lord Jesus, think about this. What is the wisdom that you have? And secondly, where does that wisdom come from? Because you cannot have that wisdom save the Holy Spirit. He come and give it to you. I think we'd be in agreement with that, would we not? So then we say the wisdom that we have to know Christ, to know that we're sinners in need of a Savior, to know that Christ is the only Savior, to know that Christ paid it all, to be able by faith to see it, perceive it, to receive it, and believe it. All of that is wisdom from God. And that wisdom you have, the world can't understand it, and so they think that you're crazy. They think it is foolishness with God. And of course, the apostle tells us that Christ is the power of God, and he is the wisdom of God in chapter 1, of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So when we look at wisdom personified, we see it in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to draw you closer into this. Do you see this? So we have man's wisdom, fleshly wisdom, and we have worldly wisdom. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 again, please. And let's right, just run down to verse 6. So Paul says there's the wisdom of men and so on. But notice what he says here in verse 6. How be it? We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, 
yet not the wisdom of this world. Paul's telling us it's a different wisdom. Nor of the princes of the world that come to naught. Here's princes, men of high degree and caliber, who should know but cannot perceive. And then he says in verse 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even hidden wisdom, which God hath ordained before the world unto our glory. And here Paul is saying, now, the wisdom we are speaking of, it was a mystery in God. Hidden in eternity. We can't understand it. The natural man can't receive it. So we can't believe it. So the word of wisdom comes not only through the church, but it comes to the unbeliever at conversion. For them to understand the mysteries of Christ, that he is our payment and food for the debt of our sin, and who he is, almighty God, wrapped, veiled, clothed, tabernacled in flesh, hanging and bleeding and dying on the cross for us. And so when we see this, we then go on, and look what he says in verse 8. Here's these princes of wisdom, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. There are people with such intelligence. We see them writing books like the God Delusion and the Big Bang stuff and all this sort of... And they're so intelligent in their mind, they feel their wisdom surpasses all other little people like you and I. But yet the wisdom, brother, you have. The wisdom, sister, you have. It doesn't matter if you're a mum or a dad in a house looking after kids, it doesn't matter if you're a, a parent on your own trying your best. If you know Christ, you have more wisdom than the men in the universities because it has come from God. You have more than they have. You have more than the man who has the alphabet of letters behind his name because he's set and he's went through years of study, and that's okay if that's what someone wants to do. We're not against it. But you have more if you have Christ, and he has not. God has revealed mysteries of heaven to you. So here now, when we go a little bit further into this, so we have to ask ourselves, since this wisdom that you have and I have, since we came to saving faith in Christ, since this wisdom is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, since this is wisdom that is not of this world that men cannot receive nor believe nor achieve, and since this wisdom comes from God and we have it, does that wisdom stop speaking? No. Yet we're told that these gifts are not for today. Oh, we, we're just wise about things. In other words, when your child is born, they start to learn. They start to know. They start to grow. And as they learn, know, and grow, they start to receive. They start to believe what they're told. And they understand how to deal with situations, what to say to mom or dad or whatever. And why? Because they're growing in wisdom. Now, when we put that into the born-again spirit, we don't really understand. I remember the first the night I got saved, I knew something had happened to me, but I just couldn't understand it. 
But I tell you what I did understand. I knew that something had happened. And every day of my walk through highs and lows, mountains and valleys, and the trials, and all the things, the good times, the not-so-good times, and all of those things that are happening, I'll tell you what did happen. I started to grow in wisdom of the Lord. I started to understand more about the Lord Jesus, and then I started to understand more things about the Spirit of God, how He was leading, what He was doing, how He deals with me. I mean, at one time, I remember I'd come out from pastoring in Dublin, and, and I was praying, and I was praying, and I was praying, saying, Lord, where do you want me to go? And there was nothing coming, and then I start to know the relationship I have with the Savior. And I know that he's starting to speak with me and he's starting to deal with me, but I can't quite understand it then. He starts working in me. I trust, brothers and sisters, you have a relationship that you understand that happens. The change in you. That he talks with you, he changes you. He starts to even deal with things in you. And you know there's something brooding, but you can't understand it. But you know he is doing something with you. And that's God saying, get ready. I'm going to bring you into something. And so he gives you the wisdom. He's building you up in this to be able to deal with those things, to speak into those situations that you will face when you enter into that place or position. And I remember that day I got into my car and drove down. I, I don't know why. I, I went from Carn Money, where I lived at the time, and I drove the whole way down into Belfast and round Carlisle Circus and up the Crumlin Road and across into the Shankill Road. And I drove down and I thought, I only come out to wash my car and I've drove about eight miles. <laughs> I said, Lord, what are you doing with me? And I drove into the, I drove into the garage in the Shankill Road to wash my car, and there was a car just before the wash. And I thought, is this guy getting into this car and I'm waiting and I'm waiting? And he's just sitting there. So I thought, I'll go around, and I drove, uh, drove into the wash station. He was just before it, and I drove into the space where the car wash was. And as I got in, I realized I need a token. I went in and got the token. I'm walking out. This man gets out, and he's walking that way, and he knows to me, and I know to him. I thought, I know him. And on the way out, my brother phones me, and I felt the Lord say, hang up the phone and go speak to that man when he comes out. So the man comes out, and I go over, and I say, Stephen, talk to you soon. Hold on. I say, excuse me, I don't, I, I don't sure. I think I know you from somewhere, but I don't know where. And we started talking and ended up he was a, a pastor from the Elam. And I remember as we talked then, it started talking that he was driving up the motorway towards Balamina. And he felt the Lord say, turn the car around and drive. He says, I've never been here hard in my life. And he's sitting at this garage and saying, what am I doing here, Lord? What am I doing? And I pull up behind him saying, Lord, what am I doing here? What am I doing? And I ended up then, I, we exchanged numbers, and that opened the door into ministry for me. Little did I know. And before that, people were giving me a word of wisdom. This is what God was doing. And I knew God was working in me. See, the things of the Spirit are for us to grow in. Things of the Spirit are for you and I to be able to help others in, to speak to them. That they'll understand God's in this. God is in control of my life. God knows about it, and he wants to help me deal with it. So, you have God's wisdom. You have the wisdom that is hidden. Just write this down without us turning to it. It'll take too long. Read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11 sometime when you go home, and you'll read about the manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom. Now we're away from man's wisdom, fleshly wisdom, worldly wisdom. We're speaking about God's wisdom. 
And the manifold wisdom of God, it actually it puts it down in some terms, the colorful wisdom of God, or the multi-colored wisdom of God. It's the idea of it. In other words, it's like a, it's like a rainbow of a facet of different colors. The wisdom can speak in different ways, and he does different things through his wisdom. And so you and I and every one of us who are blood-washed, who are spirit-filled, we will find that God can work through you in a different way than the next person and use you to speak a word into someone's life, into a situation, and it might be by a letter. It doesn't have to be, thus saith the Lord and all this sort of stuff. It doesn't have to be like that. It's a simple word. I was praying for you today and God laid this in my heart. Sometimes we make it so very furry, we feel we just need to get our cloud and our harp and our halo and play along as we go to see them. There was a lady in our last church where uh, she was, she's a lovely, lovely couple, really nice people. And, well, uh, uh, she was at home and her husband was, wasn't working one day and, and the Lord says to me in my study, write this down. This is what's happened. And I wrote a letter, wrote it down. Put it in an envelope, seal the letter, put it in my pocket. She says, now go visit this person. And I went in and visited them and we talked for an hour, an hour and a half, myself, her husband and her. And as we started to talk, there was nothing coming. I said, Lord, I was in my, my mind I'm going, Lord, tell me what is happening here. Why am I here? And as I get up to go, I'd given up. Felt the Lord saying to me, give her the letter. And I pulled out the letter and I gave it to her and I says, and it was sealed. Says, what is this? I says, open it. And she read it. And she broke it. And she says, who told you this? I've been praying this day after day after day. This is my life. No one knows this. I says, well, God does. And this is what he says. Read on. And the guard changed like this. The woman changed. Young woman, young family. And a word of wisdom can come as you're speaking, as you're writing. It can come in different ways. In James 1 and 5, talks of imparted wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask God. So you can ask God for wisdom in everything that you do. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. The word wisdom is the word Sophia. So if you have a Sophia here or in your family, your name means wisdom. Now we need to go into the Greek New Testament for a moment. I'm going to keep it very simple. And we need to show you something in this. The Greeks used the word wisdom or Sophia. And they used it like this. It meant seeking after the best ends and using the best means. So when the Greeks, the ancient Greeks used Sophia, we're seeking after the best means and, and, and we want to use it for the best means. So that's what wisdom should be. And what happens, it's like the word, uh, it's like the word love or agape. It was Greek and brought over into the New Testament because of the language at the time. It's like the, the word wisdom here is now brought over. It's like the word word. We're going to look at it. The logos. The word of wisdom. So the word of wisdom in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8 is a divinely inspired and imparted wisdom. So in 1 Corinthians 12 and 8, our first gift is the word of wisdom. The word of of wisdom. Now I notice this, the word word, okay? The word word is the word logos, L-O-G-O-S, logos. Now this is most important because if you can grasp this, this 
will make your toes open and shut. Every time I read these things and refresh myself in them, it's, wow, this is tremendous. John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same as in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And he he goes on in verse 14, and the Word, the Logos, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Paul is saying the Logos. Or pardon me, John, the Logos. What is the Logos? The word logos gives the idea to pick out or to select. To pick out or to select. It means pick words in order to express one's thoughts. So if you were wanting to know, you were wanting to tell someone who you were, or something to do with your will, if you're getting to write a will before a solicitor, you will pick out your thoughts. And you'll have them down and they will manifest into something when you pass away. So the Word of God, what is it? It's God's will, Word, His thoughts on page. The Lord Jesus, who is He? He is God's will, He is God's Word, He is God's thought in flesh. Everything that God is, He is. Let me go a little further. The Greek philosophers attempted to understand the relationship between their gods. They had a pantheism of gods and the universe and the people. So they had the little God, all their little gods and they tried to work it out. This God was with this God and they were supporting this one and that one. And, and when it comes to the one true living God of Israel, what happens? God reveals himself unto Israel, but the Greeks are still in this multi-God uh, theology. But the word here for wisdom, they were trying to work out that there must be an inter, or pardon me, for logos, there's an intermediator. How do we know about this? So the ancient Greeks called the unknown mediator between their gods and themselves. They called him the logos. Okay. So when the New Testament we see that when Jesus comes, we have, we, I quoted John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, then verse 14, the word, the Logos, is made flesh. They're not thinking of Greek gods. He's thinking of the one true living God, Yahweh, Elohim, Jehovah. And he's saying, well, God has revealed himself. He reveals himself to the prophets. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1, God who in sundry times and in diverse manners Spake in time past unto the fathers, that is unto the ancient Israel, by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. John chapter 1, verse 14, the Logos is made flesh. So God is speaking through his Son. He speaks as the, the word, the theophany, comes and speaks to the prophets. The prophets bring God to the people. A priest brings people to God. But the prophet brings God to the people. And so here we have the prophets in the, in the Old Testament bring the word of God, the will, the thoughts, the minds, the, the, the divine inspired word of God to the people. They become the intermediary between God and the people. When Jesus comes, when Jesus comes, he is God, the Logos made flesh, he is the Son of God, 
He brings God in his fullness to the people. Now, when Paul is writing in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, listen, that's why Paul writes, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Does that make sense to you now? So when Christ speaks the word of God, it's the wisdom of God in its fullness. The body, the flesh and blood of Christ speaking the very oracle of God in its fullness. So Christ dies. He goes to the grave. He's resurrected on the third day. He ascends into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the majesty or the Father. And there he is interceding for us. But the Spirit comes. And the Spirit works through the mystical body or the body of Christ on earth, the church. That is you and that is me. Now can you see the difference here when Paul is saying there is a gift of the Holy Ghost called the Word of Wisdom. It is the intermediary word from the Spirit used through the body of Christ on earth. It is the word used through you, the word of wisdom through me. It is not only wisdom, what is it? It is the right thing to say at the right time from God. So now, do we feel that that should be forgotten about because these gifts don't exist any longer? I don't think so. Okay, time's flying, almost gone. Write these down. And you will see some of the Old Testament examples. I haven't time to go into them this morning. And look for them yourself. You may say, well, what is that? But look for it and think about it. It'll give you something to try and search for yourself. Genesis 41, verses 38 and 39. Joseph has interpreted dreams and gave a word of wisdom for what the dreams mean. Genesis 41, verse 38 and 39. Then, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 9. If you go to 1 Kings chapter 20, pardon me, chapter 4, verse 29 to 31. If you go to Exodus chapter 35, verses 30 and 31. And then Daniel chapter 5, verse 13 to 15. I'd like to just briefly... Go to Daniel chapter 5 rather than just leave that one for it's very important. It's Belshazzar has a feast. The fingers of a man's hand appears and writes on the plaster of the wall. No one can interpret. The soothsayers and the magicians and all come in. And notice the very word here. Daniel chapter 5, please. Verse 16. This is what said, said to him. And I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations. So there's writing on the wall. In other words, it's the form of an unknown tongue written on a wall. How do we interpret that? We need an interpreter. It's not a foreign language of another nation around them for someone else to come in. It's a language from God that no one knows. He says, can you interpret it? We need someone with the wisdom of God to tell it. So that you'll find that the gifts, although not as the same in the same volume, if you want, are widespread, 
in the, in the church at the outpouring of Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But what you'll find is throughout the Old Testament, the gifts of God are there. All the gifts are there. They weren't just, a, it just didn't happen at Acts 2, although it came into the church for, to go out and evangelize with. So then when Daniel goes, he goes to seek the Lord, let your eye run down. He tells him uh, in verse 25, this is the meaning that was written. Mini, mini, tekel, yofarsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mini, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it, tekel. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. There is your interpretation of those words. And by the way, there's a prophetic word. Uh, it's, a, it's a word where you can count the, the value of the letters in Hebrew. And it's actually prophetic, but that's for another time. I'll teach that on another time. Very, very important for the prophetic one, for it actually brings us right up to General Allenby in 1917 again. The liberation of Jerusalem. So here we have, I hope you can see this. So as we close, James 3, and we'll just make a couple of remarks, and that's us finished. Thank you for your attention this morning. We worshipped a little longer this morning, but that's just the way the Spirit had us go. Um, James chapter 3. Verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. But if you be, have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. So notice, here's a different wisdom again. Verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. The earthly, sensual uh, wisdom that James speaks about means it's conditioned and limited at all points. It gives the idea that the ungenerated mind of man cannot be influenced by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of God's wisdom, lest the Spirit of God move upon him. The devilish, to say the wisdom is devilish means it's demon-like and not God-like. So he talks about bitterness. He says that's, Demon-like. Now, brother, sister, listen. Here's where the rubber hits the road. Here's where the rubber hits the road. Do you see if you sit with a, a hard heart and a grudge against a brother or sister? That's demon-like. Do you see if you hate someone in your heart? That's demon-like. Even if you think you're right, it's demon-like. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is where we need to say, well, what is this? I, you know, I know who I am in God, but here's this hardness of my heart. Here's this hatred in my heart. Here's this bitterness. Here's this envying. It's not of God. Notice, it is peaceable, the the. the Eight colors, if you want, manifestation of the fruit, or pardon me, the manifestation of the, the wisdom of God is this. One, 
He says it is pure. It means it has no ulterior motives. Two, it is peaceable. It never hurts nor divides. Three, it is gentle. It is reasonable and kind, in other words. Four, it is easily to be entreated. It's not rigid or austere or hard, as it were. Five, it is full of mercy. In other words, it understands and it makes allowances for people who get it wrong. People who are, and someone does something wrong or they get something wrong, well, they're just the worst in the world and they're no good. They're cast into the rubbish tip for eternity. That's not of God. The wisdom of God is making allowances for people to get be wrong. Good fruits means that it's practical. The wisdom of God is practical. Seventh is without partiality. It does not vacillate or it's not double-minded in other words. And it's without hypocrisy, number eight. It means it never deceives. It doesn't put on an act. The wisdom of God will not put on an act. You know the act where we have our nice, they'll talk about me, I'm in my pinks today. It's all right, I'm a confident man, you're okay. Your nice suit and your shirt and your tie and your aftershave on. Hair done, sort of. You're feeling good. Let's go to church. Let's worship. You've your Bible under your arm like I did walking up the street. and You're looking so respectable. How you doing? Hello. How you doing? Yeah. Hello, brother. How you doing, sister? And in your heart, you're saying, you're on there. <laughs> well, you just, that was a guilty laugh of all of you. Do you realize that? <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. That's not of God. It's not of God. In fact, it's demon-like. Here's what's of God. I am hurting so sore. They have annoyed me so much. But I'm going to love them anyway. I'm going to love them anyway. I want the best for them. I'm going to pray for them. And here's the thing. See, when you start to pray for someone you don't like, you know what happens? All of that just goes away. See, the person you despise the most, I hope you don't despise anybody. And even if it's me, I don't. Pray for me. Pray for them. And you'll find when you pray for them, you'll start to think different about them. You know why? Because God will show you you. <laughs> Hello? Isn't that right? God will show you you. Well, see, I'm full of wisdom and I'm all right, are you? The Lord says that's man's wisdom, that's fleshly wisdom. Here's the true wisdom. When you get it from him and he shows you who you are and we get ourselves right, then he starts to bless us. He starts to work on us. So that's one of the gifts of the Spirit. That's the first one. We won't throw it out either, but rather we embrace it in the name of the Lord. Amen.